You're listening to episode 351 of the GNU World Order. In this episode, we're going to talk about cup filters. We're going to talk about some disk copying commands. And that'll probably be about it. So let's get started. Last time, uh, well, first of all, I should mention, I spent the last week messing around with curl because I was just positive that curl was coming up. I thought cups, cups, and then surely the next one would be curl. And that's a really fun command to, to talk about. Turns out that I was completely wrong. Curl is in a completely different package set, and so it won't be, well, probably months until we talk about curl, which is a real pity, because like I said, it is a fun uh, command to talk about. It is a very, very useful command. But we'll all have to wait for that one. Uh, also, I spent a week messing around with it and doing lots of cool things that I was hoping to uh, to share, but I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to skip ahead of the queue. I'm going to stick with the, I'm going to stay the course, as they say, and the course is, of course, laid out for us by Slackware, which, um, that's not a philosophical thing. I'm, I'm just literally meaning that I'm, I'm following the package set listing of the Slackware distribution. So if you were running Slackware, all of this will seem very, very familiar to you. If you're not, it's okay. You might not have all these commands installed. You can look at them, or rather, you can get them and look at them, for that matter. They are open source and free software, so you can look at the code. But you can you can download them probably from your repository or from um, somewhere on the internet. So next in line, we, we just talked about CUPS, which was the common Unix printing system, and now we're going to talk about CUPS filters, which is the common Unix printing system filters. Uh, which, if you don't know what that means, that simply means, and you can kind of get a feel for this from those all those LP, all uh, the LP cups commands that we that we did talk about in a couple couple episodes ago. The filters are, it's actually kind of diverse as to what filters technically means, but the you could casually say that filters are little scripts or or binary things that sit between. Uh, cups and and its way to the pr print queue. That's kind of what a, a cups filter, generally speaking, is. And it it is exactly as you would you would think, like a filter. It's a filter that's going to sort of the, the data that you're sending into your print queue is going to pass through these filters. Something's going to happen, and then it's going to end up in the print queue in a transformed format than what you sort of actually sent to the queue. Um, so for instance, if we just take a look really quick at some of the cups filters, so I'm just doing an ls, or an, uh, ls on slash var slash log slash packages slash cups filters. Then we have things like slash um, user, uh, where are we? Here, user lib64 cups backend. Well, those aren't the, that's not actually the, the filters. So here's the filters. User lib64 cups filters, banner to PDF, brf to embosser, command to escpx, command to pclx, and so on. So it just, it, there, there's a bunch of different filters, and you can actually read them. You can just kind of open them up and look at them. So for instance, here's one that's, um, slash usr i'm going to do it less on slash usr lib64 cups filter pdf2 ps and this was a poor example to choose because you cannot look at this one and look at them it is a binary um it's a binary one that was um surprising to me that's okay um 
there are others that are not. So here's here's a good one. Slash user slash lib64 cups filter brf to embosser. And it says that this is um, it's a, it's a Braille translator. So it, it takes things that you're sending to a Braille embosser and makes sure that it's it's ready to, to, to print Braille rather than, for instance, ink. And this is just a shell script, so you can look at it and see what exactly it's actually doing. And what it is doing is it's preparing some temporary files, and then it makes a call out to a binary uh, at usershareCupsBrailleCups-Braille.sh. That's also not a binary, um, but a script located there, usershareBraille. Uh, and and this makes some calls and makes sure that everything's ready and appropriate and everything's uh, an imageable area is correct, you know, like the paid paper width and, and so on. Um, and so it, it just starts a bunch of settings and makes sure that when you're sending something to a Braille embosser, should you have one, that it's ready to actually work. And that's that's a I think a really good example of the of of a filter because that one's kind of more or less easy to 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 trace back to 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 what's really going on. Obviously the braille ones are are interesting I guess sort of to know that they exist. They're harder to look at uh, without going back to the source code, which is fine. The source code is on GitHub.com/openprinting/cups-filters. And of this repository, it says that uh, these are open source printing um, filters, backends, and other software that was once part of the core CUPS distribution, but is no longer maintained by Apple Incorporated. So Apple inherited, or, or purchased, I should say, CUPS, as I mentioned in the previous episodes, uh, and saw a filter to support Braille printing and said, you know what? We're not going to pay to keep that developed. We're going to release it to the community and let them keep it updated. It's an interesting choice, I feel. Um, so, th but there's a lot of filters here. To be fair, there are lots of lots of filters in this package, and some of them are likely to more, be more useful to you than others. Certainly, I do not have a Braille printer uh, or embosser, rather. Um, but there are other things like, for instance, PDF to uh, PS or PDF to raster and things like that. So if you need to print things in a different format, there may be a filter that exists to make that possible for you. Many of these filters and backends are just kind of automated. They just happen for you when you're using cups. So you're not going to look directly at these filters. It is great to know that these filters exist, however, because it also implies uh, that you can create your own filters should you have the the need to do that and certainly there are um you know, there are examples on on how to do that you can write scripts in in a language that you know you can write it you know just a shell script with a series of of calls to um converters i mean you could for instance if if for some reason you needed to translate a document on its way to the print spool from UTF-8 to, I don't know, some other character set, then that, the, the you, you could create a filter to, to take care of that for you and put it into your cups filters and it would get invoked um, as needed. So that's what cups filters are. Something that you can look into if you need it. 
I don't know why you would need it exactly. I feel like that would be pretty specific to some pretty very specific hardware, I guess, is what, what the problem would be. And before you go looking to create your own cups filter, I, I imagine you would want to first go see if the manufacturer of that hardware may already have something in existence for for you um it's not it's not out of the question for instance if you do need a braille embosser for instance you could just go to um you, you could look up the the model of braille embosser that you have and see if they have a driver for linux they quite possibly do and then you could add that to your computer and and print through it with their with their own existing driver so it's um it's really kind of typical printer stuff where the, the the back ends are contributed from all over the place. They exist. You can you can grab them from wherever they are on your system, use them for whatever device you have, and ideally get the expected output. If you're getting completely unmanageable output from a printer, and you think it may be because you're using the wrong driver or because the driver doesn't exist for your computer, but you think that you might be able to feed it something that it could understand, then then quite possibly a filter would be a good idea. For instance, I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen this myself, but I, I could imagine a scenario where maybe exporting a document as a postscript file first and then sending that to your print school spool might might render output whereas something else fails to render output i've never seen that but i could i could imagine that happening maybe because the printer speaks one language and you're not sending it that language by default uh, that language being postscript um, but really in i think for 90 percent of the use cases you're just going to find that the back end, as long as you've added that printer correctly with the correct driver or PPD file, uh, everything's kind of built in and you'll get the expected output when you print to that device. So that's CUPS filters. Um, there are there's some color management things in the CUPS filters. There are some uh, rasterization filters and then just sort of driver entities uh, and format conversion, as I've already said. Um, yeah, that's that's cups filters. It's kind of um, it's kind of good to know about. Probably not something you'll use directly all that often, though. Okay, so next up, let's talk about something a little bit more interesting than cups filters. And uh, off the top of my head, that would be DD no DC3DD. DC3DD is a fork of DD, which I. I I assume we've already covered at some point. I'm pretty sure that was one of the earlier things that we covered. DD is uh, a disk a disk imager is is what it's typically used as. It converts and copies a f a, a file is is what it advertises, but m generally people use it to do byte by byte copies of some device into either another device or into a file. And certainly the the most common way that you've probably used it, or possibly, um, is to image a USB drive, for instance, with a Linux distribution, a Linux ISO. That's kind of the, that's the, the really, really popular kind of like 
lowest barrier to entry use case of DD, I think. So DC3DD is similar, but it's a fork of GNU-DD by the U.S. Department of Defense. And the idea behind DC3DD is that it is a it is a version of DD with a bunch of quote-unquote forensics information built in. So that means that if someone's looking to create a copy of a hard drive into an image file, for instance, then they might use DC3DD to uh, help them to automate sort of the um, some of the processes around that. Um, and at first glance, it's not all that automated. Like the command is still pretty similar that you're that, that you would use. It would be something like uh, dc3dd, and then maybe your in file. So that's if equals slash dev slash sdx. Let's say the the different thing starts when you start getting into hashing the output. So you can do HOF instead of just OF, which would be out file in DD. In DC3DD, you've got HOF, which is a hashed output. Uh, let me see if I can find what exactly the man page says about HOF. Write output file, uh, write output to a file or device, hash the output bytes, and verify by comparing the output hashes to the input hashes. This option can be used more than once. Uh, to generate multiple outputs. So you are guaranteeing through HOF that the bytes that you are receiving on your output are uh, are matching up with the input bytes that you received. You can set the kind of hash that you generate with either uh, MD5, SHA-1, SHA-256, or SHA-512. You can log all the total hashes, you can log input-output statistics, and that's really all there is to it, to be honest. It's not, there's nothing magical here. It is, it's mostly about tracking the information that is getting transferred. There's not, uh, you know, there's no super secret sort of, um, decoder ability. It's not like it's, you know, you, you, you hear that it's special for forensics and you, you think, ooh, well, this could be cool. Maybe it'll help me rescue all of my lost data or something like that. And it it really kind of won't. I mean, it, I guess it kind of will in insofar as DD can ever help you rescue data, which isn't never. It's it's more often than never, but it's certainly not always. Um, you know, if you're if you are copying bad data from one device to another, then the data on that new device is still going to be bad. Um, getting it off of a failing device is, is always a good thing, so that's that's something to keep in mind. But not um, it, there, there's no magic going on here. Speaking of magic, there is the, the next command in the in the in the list here is DD Rescue, and this one is uh, something that maybe arguably claims that some magic occurs and it's kind of true and kind of not true so dd rescue is uh i don't know where dd rescue comes from let's look down here at the end it's by antonio diaz um diaz and that's antonio diaz diaz that's twice um so that's that's where it is it is a gnu software okay so that's i wasn't 
I couldn't remember if it was GNU. Oh, there it is. First line of the description. GNU DD Rescue. It is a data recovery tool. That's what this, this it specifically calls itself a, a rescue tool, a recovery tool. It copies data from one file or block device to another, trying to rescue the good parts first in case of read errors. So that's kind of the, um, the magical secret formula of DD Rescue is that if there's bad data, then ideally it skips over the bad data to try to get to the good stuff that it can easily grab off of the device. I imagine that a big part of the advantage here is that if it is a failing device that you're afraid the longer you have the thing powered on, much less spinning and reading data, uh, the worse the, the worse it will get. So DD Rescue is kind of that um, get in, get out, really quick solution, and it grabs everything that it can, favoring the readable data first. And that seems like a, a pretty useful application. And I say it seems like it because I've used this several times in the past, and I've got to admit, much to my chagrin, it's never done anything for me. Um, I'm not saying that DD Rescue is insufficient. I am simply saying that the drives that I have tested it on, I guess, have been in poor enough condition that DD Rescue had no effect on them. Or DD Rescue, rather, it wouldn't have an effect on that device, but DD Rescue had no effect on the outcome of the attempt to extract data from those devices. And uh, that goes for both uh, um, standard hard drives and CDs, optical optical media. I've tried it with CDs, I've tried it with DVDs, I've tried it with hard drives. None of this was, well, maybe there was one in there that was actually mine. But generally speaking, um, none of the, the, those didn't tend to be my devices. They were devices at um, a place that I was working, and people would bring these things to me and say, oh my gosh, this has failed, what can you do? And initially, before I knew any better, I thought I, I would sort of say, yes, I can, I can take a look at that. I can probably get information off of it. Never say you can probably get information off of a device. Never, ever, ever. Um, even just saying probably, it, it sounds like a promise to a desperate person, so don't ever say that. Um, DD Rescue will do its best, apparently, but like I say, it is never actually... It's I've never come out the other side of a DD Rescue attempt in in better shape than I went in, to be honest. It's too bad. Uh, and, and I've definitely... I've run this thing for days. Days at a time. Like, I've left it running for days on a device. And it just doesn't... It does not... It has not been able to grab the data. Uh, and in fact, in some cases, very few cases, it kind of just took over the the terminal that it was running in couldn't couldn't stop it couldn't get the computer to sort of release that device had to just either reboot or just yank the the device the the, the USB cable or whatever it was out of the out of the computer cuz it just did not didn't take at all there are a couple of i mean that's I, that there's no reason that you shouldn't try it it is definitely something that you that you well, I shouldn't say there's no reason you shouldn't try it. I'm sure there is a good reason not to try it. Like if if your device is very very 
badly damaged, then possibly doing anything with that device aside from dismantling it could be dangerous, and I probably wouldn't dismantle it myself unless you knew what you were doing, which I certainly don't, so I've never done that. But you could you could try DD Rescue if if that's what you're going to try. If you're going to if you think to yourself, okay, I know that I've this drive is sending me signals that it's going to fail soon. I'm looking at the smart data, which we covered in a previous episode, and it looks like it's going to fail. Or, gee, I wish it had sent me smart data, because it's now failing, very obviously. Uh, so I had better transfer the data from here to there. If you're going to do that, if that's what's going through your mind, you may as well use DD Rescue rather than, for instance, just a straight-up DD or even a DC3DD, now that we know that exists, because DD Rescue, at least in theory, should be able to to prioritize a little bit what it manages to grab from that device. Of course, DD, uh, DD Rescue doesn't necessarily know how to prioritize. It is it is limited. So one thing that you definitely want to do is the you want to tell it how many times you're willing to fail at bad when bad data is encountered. That is the dash R shortcut or dash dash retry dash passes. Negative one means infinite. The uh, the default from what I understand is zero. Um, so that doesn't. I, I think that must. I, I'm not sure what the difference between negative one and zero is. It feels to me like zero is the same as negative one, but maybe maybe someone else can can verify that for me because I I'm, I'm not convinced that that like in in my experience as I've said it, it has been difficult to to see the difference between the the just using DD rescue versus just DD but possibly if I had and I don't have a bad drive on me right now to, to test this out on, but possibly if I'd set something like one or two or three instead of it running for days and then ending up just me pulling the drive from the computer, um, maybe that would have actually gotten through the whole drive because it would have tried those retry to pass um, just just three times and then it would have continued. And maybe possibly what I was doing without setting that argument was not specifying for it really to ever continue. But zero retries, um, you know, it, it means to me, like, no retries. So I would have thought that the results would be would be similar between zero and three or, or two or whatever, whereas negative one is, is what it felt like to me it was actually doing. But I've never set it to negative one, so I, I don't feel like... I don't feel like that makes a whole lot of sense. You can also um, do a dash dash reverse to reverse the direction of all passes. I don't know exactly the benefit of this, except that it sounds cool. Like if you don't get it going one way, then sneak up on on the data behind, you know, from behind and 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 get the data in reverse. And I have no idea if that helps or not. Um, if anyone has more experience with DD Rescue, like practical experience with DD Rescue, I would love to hear more about it because that this is certainly of interest to to me and I think to to really any computer geek. I mean, at some point, at some point you're you're going to have to do this kind of thing, right? Something's going to 
going to fail, something's going to get corrupted, and you're going to find yourself wanting to resort to DD Rescue. And so getting getting more familiar with pr practical uses could could be very handy for everyone. I just, as I've said, never had a great experience with it myself, at least not yet. You can also do a dash dash sparse file. So you can write a sparse file for the output um, destination, which is, it means that the, you know, for empty data, it, it doesn't use space, uh, which is unique from the default, which is usually to represent empty space with empty space, but, but space that has been allotted for nothing. And sparse means just don't have anything there. If it's empty, don't don't write space there. Just represent it with actual nothingness, if that makes any sense. Um, then that's that's really kind of it. That's that's the that's the the command. Everything else is is kind of uh, I guess not not quite the same as DD, but it, it feels the same. So the command itself would just be, for instance, DD rescue dash dash i direct. Now that means use direct disk access to read the data that you're looking for. In other words, ignore the kernel cache. So it's going straight to, to, to that device. It is not using anything that's been, I guess, buffered or, or cached, I guess, really, by the, by the kernel. It is going straight to that device. What kind of difference that makes, again, I can't really quite speak for because I've not really had great success with this command. Uh, or, or rather, I have not had great success rescuing dying drives. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to say that this is a, a must-try option, but it seems like a pretty good option to me. Dash dash retry dash passes equals... I don't know. It's up to you. Like I say, zero seems to be the default, so it, it will presumably exit after zero retries. Is that good? Is it bad? I don't know. Uh, quite possibly, I've just never gotten through one attempt, and so that's what I've been detecting. Negative one means infinity. And then the input file itself. So in this case, let's assume that it's a dying drive that you have located at slash dev slash sdx, and then the output would be, I don't know, rescue.img, and you can log what you've tried uh, with a, just just give it a, a log name, so rescue.log, something like that, and it will it will write out to that file um, where it left off. And that's useful, it's very useful, because this the, the log file permits you to stop DD Rescue and then run it again, like retry it, because the log file exists and is tracking how far along the, the drive DD Rescue has uh, proceeded or, or has progressed through. And that's really, really important, trust me. This is not a fast process. It really isn't. Uh, you can even make it, I mean, you can control how fast it is to some degree. Or rather, I should say, you can dictate how slow it is. You can say um, min uh, the max error rates, maximum allowed rate of read errors per second. You can also do a, a minimum read rate for minimum read rate of good areas in bytes. So you can kind of... Um, define how how fast or slow you want it to go, and certainly you can kind of 
you can toggle that preference between, well, let's favor just the good stuff, and let's really, really skip over the bad stuff without any attempt to dwell on it. Let's just get the good stuff off of there. So it, it kind of, um, it's up to you, I guess. And the, I guess the, the danger here is that going into a disc rescue without really knowing the tool all that well means that you're stumbling around, and that has definitely been a problem of mine in the past. Not really knowing what's available to me versus what not not really knowing how bad the drive is, which, I mean, that's always a tough call to make, and we all have our own indicators. I mean, certainly if you're hearing, hearing clicking, you, you're probably very, very nervous. If it's just acting a little bit funny, maybe you're less nervous. So kind of knowing when to intervene is important, knowing what kind of what kind of preference you do want to tolerate. You want to just get the good stuff? You're trying to get the bad stuff? Is it a good idea to do that? How many? How much longer is this drive even going to spin for you? It's it's a real it's it's dicey, and I don't know the best. I would love to know more about this stuff, and I I just don't know the best practices here. Um, and definitely, you know, part of the problem I th I feel has been that I haven't had the opportunity to, to attempt this all that often. It's um, something that I have had an opportunity to do for people who stormed into my office with a dying drive back at the old job, but that doesn't necessarily, I mean, you know, that, that's not the best of circumstances to, um, to, to learn really, really good options. So kind of, it, it would be interesting to, 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 to do more tests with, with maybe not completely known factors, but, but some things that would be easier to, to compare the results of. It's complex, too, because if you have no bad data, then how do you how do you sort of get and, and if the drive really isn't dying, then how do you get that practice in? So yeah, it's I'm gonna say I'm gonna chalk it up to fairly specialized knowledge, and I'd love to hear from anyone who specializes in this stuff, who who does this all day and has interesting things to report. That is not me though. But there's your tools. DD Rescue, maybe DC3DD. Those are your friends if you're trying to grab data off of a device, or at least that's what I've heard. And I think that's where I'm going to end this episode, because uh, it's actually a holiday today here in New Zealand. And so I'm going to go um, relax, have some coffee. You should go get coffee as well, and I'll talk to you this time next week. Cast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as Augcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at klatu at member.fsf.org. That's klatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. 
And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Supernatural riches and a restoration of lost psychic abilities.